Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Barry Alexander, who is Chief Executive Officer of Aqualine Drones. Today we will discuss drones. Barry brings over 25 years of experience as an aviator and licensed aircraft technician for airplanes and helicopters. Barry has spent most of his career working as an airline captain for various airlines with over 22,000 hours of logged flight time, with his last assignment flying Boeing 747 aircraft globally, mainly in support of United States military operations. He has worked as a flight instructor, chief pilot, director of operations, and has led other successful and non-aviation ventures in the areas of health information systems, electronic payment systems, and digital media. Barry, welcome. Thanks, Alina, and, uh, you know, welcome to your, your listenership. It's good to have you guys. Before we get started with the subject of drones specifically, is there any additional relationships that you have that might impact our conversation today? In other words, is there a, a funding company or organization or government entity that is behind your company that might influence what you're sharing with us today? Uh, no, there is not. So this is just you and your company today, that's, right? That's correct. What is the definition of a drone? Um, a drone, um, and, and, uh, very, very good question, because I think there's a bit of a misconception as to what drones are. They're not necessarily these little flying things as they're thought of, or gadgetry. Um, it could represent anything that has the ability to, um, operate on its own, um, autonomously. Um, in some cases, there there is um, some manual influence in um, having that that drone or droid um, operate. But specific to this conversation, I think your viewers are thinking of those things that fly in the air and have the ability to provide some sort of aerial perspective um, to what we see on the ground in our two-dimensional lives. And so you're saying it's not those gadgets that we see in the air. It's something else. It's a subset of, of, um, of uh, the, the larger topic of drones. And what is the distinction? Well, you have, um, specific to this conversation, you have uh, what's called unmanned aerial vehicles, i.e. the drones that you see flying around, um, in the sky, meaning that they're not manned, you have no uh, manned personnel on board, compared to your manual um, or, or manned uh, aircraft. Um, let me just say, as far as the distinction goes, drones are aircraft, and so they, uh, they operate in an environment, um, airspace, that is regulated by um, an agency, the uh, Federal Aviation Administration, just as your typical airplanes or helicopters would be. And so um, for the purpose of this conversation, the drones that we speak of are termed unmanned um, aerial aircraft, um, so UAVs. And those are your flying objects with, you know, uh, what's called a payload, i.e. a camera or sensor attached to it that allows for um, the capture of images on the ground, whether it be uh, uh, photographs or, or video, anything that it can, you know, capture and transmit to a ground station is really what defines that as being a drone. So what we're discussing today are the UAVs, the unmanned aerial vehicles. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. And so that is different from manned aircraft that can also be called drones? Um, typically, you would not call manned aircraft drones, but they all fall under the same category, which is, which is aircraft. So you have manned aircraft, which are called aircraft, i.e. planes or helicopters, 
and you have unmanned aircraft, which are typically called drones um, because there's no one on board. What about these, um, and I don't know how common they are, but I saw on the news that in some places they were using unmanned aerial vehicles to deliver medical supplies to remote areas. I think they were testing this, I want to say it was in East Africa. Um, well, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles or drones have been around for the better part of, you know, uh, they actually go way back to, to uh, 1968, where the first drone mission was deployed by the Secret Service out of Area 51. And, you know, coincidentally, the name was um, <laughs> Aqualine Drones. And here we are almost uh, 50, 53, 54 years later, and... You know, we formed this company and named it Aqualine Drones, totally unaware that the very first drone mission or exercise that was launched by the CIA out of Area 51 was called Aqualine Drones. So they've been around for a while. Um, in the later years of drone technology, they were somewhat introduced to the public as gadgetry or toys. So most people, when they think of a drone, they perceive it to be a toy that a kid is, you know, playing with in a parent's backyard. Um, later on, uh, you know, commercial applications were discovered by attaching um, cameras and sensors to those um, flying toys, giving them, um, you know, a, a, a almost a tangible, you know, benefit as far as providing an aerial perspective that was um, commonly, um, you know, reserved for birds. So here we are living our two-dimensional lives with the introduction of drones and now having a three-dimensional picture from multiple vantage points, given that, you know, true benefit to society that was uh, um, typically not available uh, before. Can Americans, can people in the United States buy drones, the type of drones that we're talking about here today? Are they available for purchase? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, on the lower end of things, as far as the less, um, the, the, the hobbyist type drones, you could buy anywhere. If you're thinking of, you know, commercial applications, then that delves into a more uh, comprehensive suite of services. Um, so long as you are going to use a drone for commercial purposes, it requires that the drone be registered um, with the FAA, which is the, the regulatory body. And, you know, it also requires that you operate that drone in a very safe way. Um, and the FAA is chiefly responsible for uh, public safety as it relates to the movement of aircraft. So where drones are concerned, you know, um, one may choose to go the hobbyist route where they could buy a cheap drone from your typical um, retailer, um, such as Best Buy, or if you're looking for more serious um, commercial applications, then one would come to a company like Aqualine Drones, um, info at aqualinedrones.com, put in a request or go to our, you know, online store and see what's available for purchase. And what's the definition of a commercial purpose? Uh, commercial purpose is anything that you use a drone for and get paid for it. So if, you, if you're thinking, um, you know, parameter security, if you're thinking um, uh, smart farming solutions as far as ag spraying or fruit analysis using drones. If you're thinking of acid inspections, um, like inspecting bridges, tunnels, uh, roadways, um, anything that you do for, for money. If you're thinking um, law enforcement applications, if you're thinking search and rescue missions, disaster preparedness and um, you know, mitigation, um, anything that you do for money using drones is considered um, a commercial application, 
and as such requires that you have you operate in a certain way, um, uh, primarily um, in a safe way, but also within the guidelines set by the FAA, which is chiefly responsible for ensuring public safety. So you have, say, for example, a realtor who wants to show off a property that he or she is selling, and they want some aerial views of that, and they operate the drone themselves. Is that considered an aerial application? Because they're not really making money directly from the use of the drone if they're operating it for their own listing versus, say, hiring someone. How, how does that work? Good, que- good question. Um, akin to, uh, you know, uh, providing, providing a service, um, you know, for, for money, you take a friend to the airport and the friend says, hey, you know, let me help you with the gas. You know, um, here's, you know, you know, 20 or $40. That's somewhat of a, you know, um, shared, you know, sacrifice getting the person to the airport. But, you know, a realtor taking aerial photographs for the purpose of, um, enhancing a sale by providing, you know, um, that, you know, aerial shot is, is a commercial application because it eventually leads to a commercial sale which um, is, divide, is is um, you know, uh, defined as a, a commercial application. It sounds like pretty much any time when you're using a drone for profit, your own or as a hired, what, I don't know you call it, person. driver, but what is the person who mans? A drone, drone service provider. Whether you're doing it yourself or whether you've hired a drone service provider, it's still a commercial application is what I'm hearing you say. Yes, yes, it is. And that means, if I understood what you said earlier correctly, that you have to register your drone with the FAA. That's that's correct. And you're also required to, um, you know, carry, you know, commercial insurance, commercial drone insurance, um, just as you'd be required by the Department of Transportation to have your vehicle registered um you can't just take a moped on the highway and think that because you know um you know uh, it's not being used for a commercial application that there is not uh, you know a system of of regulation that ensures that it's safe it's compliant and that it's uh, you know being that it's capable of providing you know harm or, or bodily injury um or damage to property uh, it will fall under some uh, set of rules or guidelines um, or regulations that, you know, determines that it's a commercial application of some sort. How many drones do you know are there registered with FAA today? Um, conservative estimates uh, put the number um, well over a million drones flying in the U.S. airspace, and that is a combination, um, you know, of both uh, commercial and recreational applications. Um, We know that the commercial drone sector is the fastest growing in the transportation industry at a rate of about 13.8% annually and is expected to become a $42 billion industry by 2025. And what percentage of that one million that is estimated would you say are being used for commercial purposes and uh, following the FAA requirements? About uh, about a solid thirty percent of that um, is used in commercial applications. Um, nonetheless, they're all required um, to uh, you know I mean adhere to. Um, the guidelines set by the FAA, um, whatever the commercial application is, um, which of course um, is you know quite a bit. You do have those that you know provide true benefit to society and those that don't. Um, when we say benefit to society, we talk about typically um, life-saving applications like search and rescue missions. Also, say for example, the transport 
of uh, human tissue and organs. Here we are in a pretty mature um, societal environment um, where we're understanding that there is a uh, 25% uh, discard rate on human tissues and organs in the U.S., uh, primarily due to a lack of transportation logistics. Um, knowing that, you know, according to the uh, American you know, Transplant Foundation, uh, 14 people die every day just waiting for an organ. And, you know, you know that has typically been done by, you know, a manned aircraft, but that is very, very expensive. And here you have drones capable of providing that service um, for a lot less money, but just lacking the regulatory environment that would allow that service to to prosper um, is something that um, you know we are working on fervently to ensure that um, society derives the true benefit of drones and that it makes society a better place. In that million that you mentioned a minute ago, the estimated number of drones in the U.S., does that include military drones or is this just civilians? This is just um, civilian drones. Um, according to a report by, say, CompuCare, for example, which is a leading um, resource of uh, product reviews and comparisons, there's over a million drones um, registered in the U.S. with um, the FAA um, which are made both by American companies or companies from other countries. Tell us a little bit about the drones themselves. What dimensions, what speed? Is there a standard that they all follow? Are there ranges? Um, there's, a, there's a wide range of drones. Um, when you when you talk about drones within the ambit of commercial applications, the focus is typically less on the drone um, and more on the data that it has the ability to capture and transmit and what is eventually done with that data and for what reason. Say, for example, um, when you're talking, you know, um, you know, asset management um, or inspections with construction companies, um, those using that information would want to know that what they're seeing is what the drone is seeing in real time, and based on how that information is, is modeled, um, and with the application of artificial intelligence, could even provide prescriptive recommendations based on the information that the drone gathers. and so. You know, the novelty of drones has, you know, so much, you know, um, overshadows um, its benefits sometimes in that people are excited about drones, those uh, shiny flying objects uh, in the sky. But the, the, the intrinsic benefit of drones is really uh, the ability to gather or capture, um, you, know, uh, um, you know, images and have that transmitted um, in near real time or real time, such that that information can be used to provide real time data insights to the end user. And, and those clients range from law enforcement personnel to um, small and large businesses alike, um, to emergency management uh, personnel, um, you know, administrators of townships um, through you know public works public works departments. Um, you know, everything uh, from A to Z um, realizes some benefit from the use of drones. How does that compare, say, with satellite images? Um, satellite images, satellite uh, orbits uh, the Earth. And so those images are captured every time the satellite is, you know, um, you know, uh, within a certain location. Um, the drone, on the other hand, which is near Earth, um, as far as, you know, um, its application, um, typically under 400 feet above, above, above the ground. Um, you know, it's like a flying object that, you know, is most times stationary, um, taking those, those images as opposed to a satellite that's traveling, you know, hundreds of, you know, um, you know, miles per hour in, uh, in the Earth's orbit.
What about the range that they can travel from the point of departure? How far does the average drone have in range? Drones typically, it's based on the power source. Um, you could use uh, battery technology um, to power a drone, or you could use a you know internal combustion engine, like a gas engine, in which case you would get um, a longer you know um, you know flight time out of the drone. Uh, typically, anywhere from you know 10 to 40 minutes is your average. Um, you know, mid-size, you know, drone as far as the time it could stay in the air. Um, but if you go to a, you know, um, a gas engine, you could get upwards of three hours typically using um, that um, power source. How, how heavy a load and how complex a load can the drone carry? Drones can carry pretty much anything. Um, you have on, on the lower end of things, they typically carry what's called its payload, which is made up of a, a camera or sensor. Um, on the higher end of things, you have, um, you know, uh, passenger drones, um, <laughs> um, in which case the reason they are still classified as drones is because they're not manipulated by, by the operator on, on, on the drone. Um, and I think to um, the world's first single-passenger autonomous drone made by a company called um, Ehang out of uh, Shenzhen, China, um, made the, uh, the Ehang 134. So there you have a single-passenger autonomous drone. Passenger gets in, puts in an address, and drone gets off the ground, or it could be pre-programmed, and goes up vertically, horizontally, and down vertically to that um, preset, um, you know, address. So anything on the lower end, like I said, um, to, you know, which starts off a basic payload camera sensor, you know, package, or on the heavier side of things, moving, you know, cargo payloads or passengers is very, very typical of, um, you know, drones. Is that something that is available in the United States, a passenger, a drone that can carry a passenger, a human passenger? Most of that stuff is done in, um, in testing environments. Um, and so these are more, you know, academic in, in nature. Uh, there is no mainstream applications um, of drones moving passengers as we speak. We expect at some point in the future with relaxation of, you know, um, the requisite regulations that you will see such applications. So for now, it's limited to the drones that, you know, have payloads made up of cameras and sensors. And um, hopefully in the not-so-distant future, you'll see more of a proliferation of, of drones that, that carry passengers and provide that, that uh, transportation relief from, you know, ground transportation infrastructure. What are the restrictions, what are the limitations beyond the distance and the time that we've discussed that, uh, let's say, rein in the use of drones for commercial, for business applications? The main, the main restriction today is called beyond visual line of sight of the operator. In other words, um, the FAA requires the, the, the operator to be in constant visual contact uh, with the drone. And so any application where that is in question would require um, a number of, um, you know, observers, visual observers along the, 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 uh, the path of the drone with, you know, radio communication or, or spotters, if you may, that can say, hey, you know, um, I'm in constant visual contact with the drone, so it's not operating beyond the visual line of sight of the operator. Um, essentially, the, the goal is to always be, you know, always have the drone in sight and not let the drone, um, you know, uh, go rogue or be operated in an environment where it could potentially impact something because it's it's not being seen 
by the operator as far as what it is doing physically um, um, in the air, not relying on its um, you know camera or sensor to see what a drone is seeing through that that's a that um, device. Is there a flight plan requirement similar to what you would have as a commercial pilot when you're heading out somewhere? You have to give an indication of where you're planning on going. Does a drone use require a similar? Yes. Yes, yes, it does. That's a gross misconception that people think that, you know, uh, airspace is, there's private airspace. All the airspace in the U.S. is owned by um, the federal government. And so, you know, um, you know, when flying in that airspace, you do have to adhere to, um, you know, the, the regulation that's put in place to define the airspace for, for certain uses. And as such, um, a flight plan is required to be filed prior to operating a drone in, you know, the airspace for the sake of managing that traffic along with manned aircraft, i.e. airplanes or helicopters. Additionally, um, you will have Say, for example, um, you know, temporary um, uh, or restricted flight zones um, or temporary flight restrictions that are put in place that you would need to observe. And so the, the process by which you file the application is one that allows the FAA to provide you with real-time information and a, an approval to provide or to conduct a drone mission um, based on the application or flight plan that's filed with the FAA, knowing that you may encounter um, reasons why the uh, flight mission cannot be conducted. What is the timeline for that process if you have – and you were talking about the different applications, say a construction site or a security site, and you want a drone to go out, how much time in advance do you need to plan that in order to get the approval? Uh, the approval is, is uh, almost uh, in, real, in real time because um, all that stuff is predefined as far as your temporary flight restrictions, your, your defined airspace, um, whether it be around – you know, um, heavy traffic areas like airports um, or sensitive areas um, or restricted areas, such as where, you know, um, you know, uh, presidential movement is expected. Um, so not much time. It's, it's almost in real time that you could get, you know, an approval or denial once you file the application or the flight plan with the FAA. What about private space, uh, in other words, private land businesses that may not want a third-party drone flying over their property. How does that work? Um, well, there's, again, most, what I said, most, the, the airspace over, over the ground in the U.S. is owned by the, the federal government, and there's been many, um, you know, uh, there's been ongoing conversations about um, who's, who owns what, who has jurisdiction over um, certain airspace and what can and cannot be done within, within that airspace to a point where people think that the airspace over their, their personal property, private property, is theirs and they have the right to shoot a drone down, you know, if it's, you know, um, an annoyance or if... You can't, you can't, you know, just go out there and shoot a drone out of the sky because you think, you know, your privacy is being invaded and, and um, it's your, your airspace because it's over your, your personal property. Um, but as it relates to, you know, uh, other sites, uh, commercial sites, there is activity that's allowed, um, you know, by the FAA. Again, it's a good habit to, um, put in a, a flight plan and just be, just know for sure that there are no potential incumbences 
to you providing a safe um, drone mission. And ultimately, the goal of the FAA is not to restrict, uh, arbitrarily restrict the operation of drones. It's really a function of public safety and ensuring that, you know, um, people are responsible in how they operate drones so that they don't um, cause, you know, damage or, or harm to humans, but also that they are compliant in that they adhere to, you know, the um, rules uh, that are put in place to protect the public. How low can the drones fly? So I think you said earlier that they usually fly around 400 feet above the ground. How low to the ground can they fly? No, they could fly up to uh, 400 feet from from the ground. So from the ground um, up to about up to 400 feet is, is what is allowed. What is to keep a drone from entering someone's yard and snooping on them while they're getting dressed, for example? <laughs> you know, that's uh, there. Nothing, nothing really, um, other than, other than, um, you know, uh, you know, a, a report being made to law enforcement that you know, um, your your privacy. You know, at home is 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 in jeopardy. Um, you know, we've had we've had people call in asking for advice as to what they should do if um, if they find a drone, um, you know, peeking through the bedroom window. You know, which you know, a call to law enforcement usually takes care of that. But so there is no protection for individuals or businesses. If for a drone to snoop in on their business or their private life, is that what I'm hearing? Um, well, that's that's somewhat somewhat correct, in that you have you know civic you know advocacy groups, for example, the ACLU, um, that have a mission of well, the the mandate is is really to uh, to ensure um, you, know, you know privacy and you know whether or not whether or not you know um, drones are being used for good. I, I know during the pandemic, which is actually still um, with us, um, early on there were concerns that drones that were being used to sterilize areas and um, provide you know, that as a, a true societal benefit were being questioned as far as what are they really doing up there. Um, there's a, there's been an ongoing fear that, you know, Big Brother is watching. And if, you know, you have something in the sky that you did not give permission to surveil you or your property, then obviously there's a concern. But, you know, there are usually conversations or ways in which that can be mitigated, working with, um, you know, neighborhood revitalization zones, for example, and having, um, representatives from those civic advocacy groups sit on the boards or in the environments uh, where that information is 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 viewed um, to convey that level of, of of trust to the community that it's actually being used for good purposes. What would you advise to listeners who have concerns about a competitor snooping on their business or stealing secrets via drone surveillance or people concerned about privacy in their homes, other than calling the police departments, what recourse do they have available uh, in addition to the one that you just mentioned? I would not, I would not frame it, um, you know, in the context of, of, of recourse if someone has concerns, what I can say, um, you know, based on, you know, what I know, my, my, um, you know, the, the amount of time I've spent in my adult life in aviation, um, both manned and unmanned, is that drones are inherently safe and they provide an intrinsic benefit to society. They do things that, you know, takes us out of our normal two dimensional lives. To now providing that that benefit that keeps humans out of harm's way. For example, um, there's no reason why 
you know, 55 year old man should be climbing a ladder to go inspect a roof, which a drone can do in a matter of minutes and, and safely. And so identifying all the things that drones can do, um, uh, to help society, but also providing responsible and accurate information to the public to, to gain the trust and advocacy. Um, that's, that's key. And so, um, the position of, of, a, of a thought leader is something that we take very seriously at Aqualine Drones to ensure that the public has the right information. They understand that, you know, um, while it's concerning that you may have a drone up in the air that you're not sure why it's there, that it's not necessarily being used, um, illegally and that, you know, it does. I mean, drones are here to stay and, and it's our goal as a company to ensure that drones will someday uh, become or the use of drones will become as commonplace as the everyday use of cars. They do benefit society and it's our job and mission to ensure that we provide that responsible and accurate information to the public so that we, um, we gain the trust and, and hopefully the endorsement and that we can use those associated technologies, drone and cloud technology, to provide that intrinsic benefit um, that they can do. Well, you mentioned cars, but at the moment, of course, there are a lot of concerns about aggressive drivers and the number of accidents and fatalities resulting from the, the pandemic changes in behavior, let's say, from the pandemic. So if you escalate that to a device that is unmanned and mostly unregulated from what you're saying, and with no recourse because it seems that there's no authority that you can appeal to, this is a federal agency that's out of reach for pretty much most the average American citizen, what what possible further restrictions, you know, if we think about cars, which is what you were saying, that it, they're available pretty much to many people across the country, and you escalate that to something that is a lot more affordable, presumably drones are a lot more affordable than the average car, with no regulation, we can see that people might be concerned. Where do you think the future of drones is going? Well, well, drones are the use of drones is is um, is quite pervasive, and uh, it it really comes down to I mean how much can you police um, you know any activity or uh, physical implement that could put, you know potentially cause harm? Um, how do you regulate? How do you regulate um, you know guns for guns for example um, where you have more guns than you have, you know, humans, you know, in the U.S. And so we understand that there is a um, there's an intrinsic, um, you know, uh, threat element associated with drones, as you have with just about everything else, whether it be guns or cars that you place in the the hands of an average human being and charge them with the responsibility of being being careful. Um, you know, there is adequate. Um, regulation in place, and that's evolving as we speak to ensure that drones are, you know, um, operated responsibly, um, you know, and it starts with, you know, um, you know, public education, knowing what what's allowed and what's not allowed. Um, we as a company, like I said, um, most of our individuals here um, are you know, aviators. Um, it's in our DNA, and so we understand that you know uh you know the FAA is 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 chiefly responsible for ensuring public safety and so um through our um you know business practices best practices we convey to the public that there is an active effort um active and ongoing effort to ensure uh public safety um as being paramount to everything we do with drones um in training in manufacturing in you know, the applications of, of, of drones, um, you know, public safety is, is, uh, is paramount. And I cannot understate um, the need for us to observe 
whatever regulations are in place because they do, you know, uh, provide a pathway to, um, you know, widespread acceptance and endorsement of drone and cloud technology and not um, the public viewing drones as an annoyance or something that potentially, you know, um, you know, impacts their, their, their privacy. Is it possible to weaponize a drone, such as we see in the military videos and, uh, dare I say, game videos? Yes, it is. It is possible to weaponize drones, just as it's possible to weaponize guns. Guns are guns are weapons. Well, um, exactly. So, yeah. if you combine the two, a vehicle that is unmanned and carrying a weapon and not regulated, that's starting to sound rather scary. Um, no, it's 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 not. Um, <laughs> you know, there are those that out there who think that you know, um, and of course, I mean, anything can be used, um, you know, Ill- illegally. Um, with, uh, with, with bad intentions. You do have bad actors out there. But the majority of the, the population involved with, you know, the use of drones, drone tech, drone and cloud technology, I can say from what I know, um, usually errs on the side of, of, of caution and safety. And we work hard, um, in unison to ensure that you know, the, 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 the operating environment for drones are safe. Um, the drones themselves are inherently safe as far as um, the features that are built into them to ensure that the, 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 um, the report on themselves, for example, um, you have a technology called, you know, ADSB that allows for a drone to um, report on what it is, where it is, its registration and stuff. So it can be identified, readily identified by, by, by the FAA. And so there's always going to be, um, a percentage, um, or, or faction out there that, you know, will try to, um, you know, glorify, you know, the illicit use of, of, of drones, but a greater percentage of the population is actively working on ensuring that drone safety remains paramount. The public is kept safe. Property is is not at risk of of being being damaged, and so that gives me you know great hope and confidence that we will achieve the milestones um, that are you know part of our you know great ambitions of of making drones you know part of um, you know everyday society. What kind of manpower has the FAA dedicated to the regulation and oversight of drones? I mean, there's only one million in the country today that we know of what is the personnel allocation or the ratio and what are the projections if you will for the future there's no there's not necessarily an increase in in um in manpower um uh mensurate with the increase in the drone density um you know, you know, the Department of Transportation does not run out and hire more, more personnel because we have more cars on the highway either. Um, you know, there is enough capacity to manage, uh, an increase in drone density with the same amount of manpower personnel. Um, the system has been in place as far as the regulatory environment, um, you know, to, to manage you know, I mean, drone traffic, just as you would if, um, you know, manned aircraft. Um, and it's, it's really the way in which the FAA, um, you know, has said that things will be recognized in the drone space is that they will be managed like regular aircraft. It's what the FAA is used to, um, you know, through, you know, what's called an air carrier certificate, for example. And that will hopefully bring a little bit of a little bit more law and order um, in the sphere of, of drone operation. Um, the public understanding that um, the FAA is is uh, is dedicated to this ensuring their safety 
and we as responsible drone manufacturers or operators and, and trainers, you know, um, working in concert with the FAA um, to ensure, you know, public safety uh, being paramount is, is foremost in everything that we do. Does the FAA issue fines when the drone I mean, operators violate the rules? How does that work? Sure, sure, and, and they, as, as they should, as 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 they as they should, um, you know, um, it varies um, based on you know jurisdiction or you know severity of of an infraction, um, but by all means, um, you know, there should be consequences for. Uh, irresponsible drone behavior and, you know, understanding that, you know, again, you know, drones have the uh, ability to, to cause, you know, bodily harm or, or damage to property um, requires that enhanced, you know, um, you know, uh, awareness, you know, um, such that you know, uh, you know, certain things are put in place to 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 ensure that. Um, as a company, for example, we're we're uh, we're in the process of securing our own insurance license, um, Aqualine Drones um, Indemnity Corporation. Um, you know, very very near future. That's something that will allow us to better uh, mitigate risk. Us having the data ahead of um, Normal insurance companies um, to you know make those risk assessments. That's that's based on on um, a lot of historical data, um, historical and, and and current data. So going the extra mile um, is always the uh, progressive track that that should be um, considered when um, being part of a movement, uh, you know, dedicated to providing. You know, safe. You know, an industry that's that's burgeoning, of course, but also um, ensuring that it does not spill over its you know spill over the sides, and that you know the public remains aware that there is you know um, an active movement to keep them safe and to help them realize that intrinsic benefit that drones provide to society. So, how many citations or fines, if you know? Would you say the FAA has issued drone operators in the last year? I don't know what that exact number is, but I can say that the FAA, um, they're, they're very uh, steadfast in ensuring public safety and where violations are, are realized, recognized, or, you know, um, they may be aware of. They do move in quickly to ensure that those bad actors are are fined accordingly. Is this the same government entity that had oversight over the aircraft that had been falling from the skies all over the globe? Uh, no, no. You have different regulatory bodies, um, different parts of the world. The FAA is chiefly responsible for the regulatory environment in the U.S. No, I meant the aircraft manufacturer is in the United States, and they received FAA approval to fly and then they sold their aircraft across the world. Isn't that the FAA? Um, no, no. Dro <laughs> drones falling out of the sky. No, sorry, uh, not drones, aircraft. The Boeing um, that were falling out of the sky, they banned them in a number of countries. Yes. Um, you, you're speaking of the, uh, the um, 737 MAX which is a um, what, one one has to focus on the number of flights that are conducted on a daily basis um, without accident or incident, and so the ratio or percentage of of you know um, flights that that do go wrong is minuscule by by all fair counts. Um, there is only so much one can do. To um, ensure safety, I can say wholeheartedly that being in aviation for for over 30 years, I have seen the FAA um, the FAA's hand um, in ensuring uh, public safety 
through everything that the FAA uh, manages or or you know oversees, you know whether yeah yeah. So um, uh, based on my 30 plus years of of being in aviation, um, on the maintenance side of things, on the operational side of things, on the management side of things, I can safely say that the FAA, um, although they are cumbersome and difficult to navigate, they do you know take the issue of public safety seriously and that whether or not you have, you know, um, isolated incidents like, you know, some of the Boeing 737 that we talked about, you know, um, having troubles, um, you know, traced back to manufacturing defects, you know, or, you know, quality control or quality assurance, um, that does not negate, you know, the amount of effort the FAA puts into um, ensuring you know public safety, and so um, the same is the same applies to drones. So we can have the same confidence in the oversight of the FAA in drones that we have over aircraft and how they allowed and approved the 737 Max. Um, the standards are the standards are the same. Um, the the and manufacturers to the same um, standard. And uh, we as a company, for example, um, we hold, um, you know, ourselves to, to that standard or even higher. Uh, for example, in our training, um, your typical drone operator goes out there, buys a drone, and um, does an online test with the FAA that they study for, and go out and operate drones. Um, all the drone service providers that go through our program, we have a very novel um, online drone training program called Flight to the Future which can be accessed at uh, flytothefuture.com. That's flytothefuture.com, where someone can go in, enter into our ecosystem, learn or train to become a competent and safe drone service provider, and, you know, find themselves, you know, gainfully employed as a drone service provider, um, making a decent, um, a decent wage. And, you know, um, we go the extra mile. You know, the things we do in-house, for example, we subject our drone service providers to a drug and alcohol program, which is not normal. So so there are efforts out there, like I said, um, like what we do at Aqualine Drones, that go above and beyond to ensure that, you know, um, drone and cloud technology is something that is not just revered but respected for what it does and what it could potentially do to benefit society, but also in ensuring uh, public safety, um, making sure that it remains paramount in everything that we do and that we could one day, as you know, um, responsible thought leaders, gain the public's trust, admiration, and endorsement in um, you know, uh, the proliferation of drones and drone technology, making them as commonplace to the everyday use um, by by citizens, and that um, you know, you know, one day we'll see uh, you know pretty much you know the Jetsons, an environment like the Jetsons, where it all happens in um, extreme harmony. Tell us a little bit more about the training, Barry, if you would. What is the the duration, and what are the requirements? What's what's the profile of the person? who might be interested and in, in do well? Is it business owners? Uh, I know you also have a program for first responders. Tell us a little bit about that, please. Yes. Um, so uh, uh, specific to the program for uh, first responders, um, we understand that, again, drones uh, provide a benefit um, in certain environments. And um, in, within the realm of, of, of uh, public safety, First responders, i.e. police officers, firefighters, EMS personnel, can use drones to enhance um, the, the work that they do in helping to keep the public safe, um, you know, as, as far as being that, you know, um, that eye in the sky, providing, you know, real-time or near real-time uh, feedback as far as the transmission of data um, or, um, you know, um, that aerial perspective. And so we thought it necessary to reward our first responders nationwide by providing that higher end 
um, training experience to them for free. And we encourage, we strongly encourage all first responders nationwide to take advantage of this program, which ordinarily costs um, somewhere around $1,000 um, to the average person um, in its full, you know, the full course, of course, um, to, to do it because it's, again, it's free. And it gives them, equips them with the, the tools that they need to go out there and be responsible and safe um, drone operators, um, especially in the line of work, so that we have a nation where, um, you know, first responders, veterans, and the like, and everybody, you know, um, within that, uh, you know, public um, safety, um, you know, environment has, you know, advanced technology at their fingertips to help them um, do their work better, but also um, to keep them safe um, first and foremost. Um, on the, uh, the, the the general application of uh, Flight to the Future, where it's uh, sold to the public, is such that it gives uh, people in your typical, now typical, you know, post-pandemic environment, um, unemployed, underemployed individuals looking for new career alternatives, um, an opportunity to delve into um, commercial drone operations. And so within a matter of months, um, it averages from, you know, uh, you know, four to six months, someone could be fully trained as a drone service provider, um, equip themselves with a drone, which we provide um, financing um, for that here at Aqualine. Um, uh, so for pennies on a dollar, as far as, you know, um, using that uh, financing instrument, one can get into the, the, the world of drones and become a competent and safe drone service provider, training through our Flight to the, training, Flight to the Future program, but also buying our drones, using it um, commercially um, and safely to, uh, to earn a living. What kind of a time commitment does that require? The online training program is, is self-based. So um, we understand that it may be a full-time commitment. It may be a part-time commitment given each individual's, um, you know, um, life circumstances. And um, if you were to do it full-time, it would take about, you know, four to six months because there are other aspects to it that involves, you know, um, registering your own business and LLC, which we provide assistance with, um, giving you access um, and training you on our mission management uh, platform called Command and Control, or C2, um, and also taking advantage of the, the jobs that we are currently aggregating um, nationwide. Um, I know there was a lull in that, you know, um, you know, availability of, of jobs nationwide, chiefly due to the pandemic, but things are picking up again, and we are seeing more and more um, service requests by individuals from businesses, um, you know, um, wanting, you know, drone service providers to come out and, and do work. And so anyone, again, looking for a potentially lucrative um, job or career alternative, can find that through our Flight to the Future program, which can be accessed at flighttothefuture.com, where you will be trained um, to become a certified drone service provider, to own your own business, to receive the back-of-office support services, to gain access to our mission management platform called um, Command and Control, and also to access a pool of of uh, you know jobs out there that are currently being aggregated by aqualine drones um, to provide that uh, you know supply that that matches the demand is this a remote work type of position or do you need to be in a particular environment I know you said that you have to have line of sight to operate the drones uh, what are the parameters for that Yes, it is. It is. Uh, you have to be. You have to be there physically with the drone. Um, eventually, we will have, um, you know, aut autonomous operations, drone operations. But for now, um, there is the manual application of deploying the drone, um, ensuring that it's it's operated safely 
once it's up in the air, retrieving the drone and going on to the next job, um, which I think most people actually prefer that hands-on, you know, application, the novelty of flying a drone um, for commercial purposes um, with a company like Aqualine that they know um, stands behind the brand, stands behind our training, stands behind everything that we do. I'm not sure that I followed the answer. So it is not a remote work position? Uh, no, it's not. You have to be there physically um, until such time as autonomous drone operations become commonplace. But right now, yes, the drone service provider or operator needs to go out there for drone, keep the drone you know, pretty much within visual line of sight of the operations and um, be able to retrieve the drone safely, not operating um, or in limited capacity over populated areas and um, doing getting that uh, that uh, that area capture that um, you know they, they sought out to do. For those who are interested in the training as first responders or business owners who may want to have their own drones and know how to operate them, what are the investment requirements in in the equipment or is this something that they would do through your company? Yes, um, for the first responders, which we just extended the program until June of uh, 2022. They simply need to send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at aquilinedrones.com, and that's A-Q-U-I-L-I-N-E, drones with an S.com, so info at aquilinedrones.com. Simply send, in, um, send an email with your contact information, and um, someone will get a hold of you and um, walk you through the, the onboarding process where, will you, where you will gain free access to our online um, commercial drone training program. And if you so desire to go beyond that um, and do conduct drone operations um, privately, then the program is also set up for you to continue beyond your regular work as a first responder. For ordinary individuals who are not first responders, they could pay for the program. Um, it starts off around $400 and you could uh, pick uh, specific, um, you know, uh, uh, areas of training or use cases that are of interest to you um, from an a la carte menu and also pick the equipment based on the type of work you want to do and um, access, you know, um, the the uh, financing tool that we have to allow you to essentially get into the industry for pennies on a dollar. I mean, just think by by comparison, um, you could get totally outfitted for about you know six thousand uh, dollars, which includes training, it includes a drone, it includes um, indemnification of, of of the drone, it also includes you know, um, the back of office um, setup services, um, which we provide the business setup software, uh, compared to uh, something of, of that is less novel, like like hairdressing, which would cost you about ten to twenty thousand um, dollars. You know, you know, about twenty nine weeks, and at the end of a hairdressing class, you get a skull and probably a wig, moisturizer kit. And um, good luck getting a, ch a chair at a salon to uh, <laughs> to exercise what you've learned. Um, so it is exciting what we do here at Aqualine Drones as far as building a marketplace of safe, competent, and responsible drone service providers, but also manufacturing you know, homegrown um, hardware, i.e. the drones, and also the software, and also the support infrastructure through the AD Cloud which is an aviation-centric cloud, um, very nimble. We are able to um, customize cloud solutions for small businesses. And so everything within our ecosystem is designed to, to create that marketplace that's just becoming you know, more and more aware to the public and it's, it's gaining quite you know, the amount of attention because people are realizing that here we are, in the year 2021, going into 22, with something as novel as 
you know, uh, drones that can actually be used commercially to earn a living, but also to provide that intrinsic benefit to society that was ordinarily not there before. What kind of risk do you have as a business owner who has taken a course and operating your own drone if something goes awry, if you unknowingly uh, violate a rule, or if there is an accident and you injure someone or destroy property, uh, what kind of exposure do you have? You have the exposure that you would normally have with operating a commercial vehicle, which a drone is. As such, there is commercial drone insurance available out there. Um, I said we are, we are in the process of establishing our and we're at the very very tail end of it. Um, hopefully, within the next couple of weeks, we should have our um, you know uh, uh, commercial uh, insurance license in Connecticut to be able to um, indemnify everything that Aqualand Drones uh, procures, um, goods and services, and by extension that of you know the users of Aqualand Drones, and also we will have the ability to to um, uh, not just yet, but we will um, hopefully in the not-so-distant future be able to provide um, commercial um, liability insurance to to the uh, to the industry. That's something that's uh, in the making. Um. Barry, thank you for joining us from Hartford, Connecticut. You're very welcome, and um, good to um, – thanks for, you know, allowing us your platform to tell our story. But also, um, you know, we'd love to come back and, uh, you know, report on, you know, the impact of, of your show on the, on the public and see how many enrollments uh, are derived as a result of uh, the education that, you know, um, happened on the show today. And to our audience, you have been listening to Barry Alexander, who is Chief Executive Officer of Aqualine Drones, who discussed drones. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.